Amen. Good evening, everyone. Um, thanks very much, Peter, for leading us in prayer there and for asking for God's help, which is what we want now as we turn um, to his word together. If you've got a Bible with you, um, do open it back up to that passage that uh, Josh read earlier from Acts chapter 6. And this evening, we're going to be uh, particularly focusing in on the second half of that chapter um, from verses 8 uh, through to 15. Now, uh, to set the scene a little bit before we get going, we've come to a little bit of a turning point in the book of Acts in the section that we had read this evening. If you were with us last week, um, we were looking at those first seven verses there in in chapter 6. And we saw, didn't we, that uh, even despite possible division and distraction, um, the gospel continued to go out powerfully right across Jerusalem. If you look with me at verse 7 again, we read uh, the second of Luke's uh, six summaries of gospel growth that he offers for us in the book. Look at verse 7 there. We read that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In that summary, we see uh, the extent of the gospel growth that has happened so far in this book, with ever-increasing numbers of disciples in Jerusalem. And even there at the end, uh, do you see that a great many of what we believe would have been thousands of priests at the time in Jerusalem have also come to faith in Christ. So up to this point, we've seen the initial fulfillment of the first part of the commission that Jesus gave to the disciples right back in chapter 1, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's what we've mainly been seeing up to this point, isn't it? And we have seen how much fruit there has been as a result of this. But from now on, from chapter 6, verse 8, we begin to see an ever-widening picture of the witness to Christ, as it reaches out into wider and wider areas, into, into the areas that Jesus then next calls his disciples to be witnesses to, to Judea and Samaria. And that all begins with the witness of Stephen, which we're picking up this evening. One commentator um, says that Stephen's witness and death pretty much serves as the starting pistol, as it were, of the gospel going out from Jerusalem. To the ends of the earth. And that's going to be particularly evident at the start of chapter 8, which we'll get to in a few weeks' time. But now we're turning to Stephen. And here tonight is what I want us to see from these verses, verses 8 to 15. I want us to see in Stephen someone who is going to inspire and help us to know what it will mean in our lives to be witnesses to Christ, to be faithful witnesses. We've probably all got someone, I think, in our, in our lives, if we're Christians here this evening, um, who we particularly look up to, who has been so helpful, someone who we particularly admire and respect, who has inspired us in some way to follow Christ. Who would that person maybe be for you? For often, often it's a grandparent, isn't it? Or an older Christian who's taken us under their wing. And as we see their life and their actions, we see their perseverance, we are inspired and encouraged to follow suit, aren't we? And in that way, as I said, I think what we see here is uh, in this passage is Stephen being that person. 
Stephen's example, I think, is presented to us here in this, in this passage, in God's word, to help us, to encourage us, to inspire us, to inspire us to press on, to press on in taking up Jesus' calls to be his witnesses, his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And as we see that this evening in Stephen, we're actually also going to see glimpses here of how in following Stephen's example, we're also following Jesus' example. I think that's how it's presented to us in these verses, and we'll come on to it in a minute. Paul uh, puts it like this when he was writing to the Corinthian church. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I think we could read this passage here and read this in. Be imitators of Stephen as he is of Christ. As he follows in the footsteps of his suffering saviour and goes on faithfully bearing witness to him. See, it's often hard, I think. We know as Christians that we're called to be witnesses. But what does that mean? What will that look like? What does that mean for this week? What should I do? Well, I hope that as we see Stephen's example here this evening, we're going to be encouraged. And also, I hope that we're going to see in it some really clear, practical direction for what it will mean for us to be witnesses. So, let's get into the text then and see that the first way we can witness to Christ, like Stephen, is through our character and actions. We see this in verse 8. If you look there with me, we'll read it again. We read at the start here, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now up to this point, uh, uh, we've been focused pretty much on the apostles, if you've been with us. Uh, As we said here, the, the focus has suddenly shifted, hasn't it? Away from the apostles onto this guy, Stephen who, uh, as we saw in the first part of this passage, was one of those seven who was appointed to help resolve those, the issue that there was in those days uh, about the uneven, uneven uh, daily distribution to the widows. And we read last week in verse 3 that as one of these seven, he was to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And then Luke also singles him out, if you look there with me, in verse 5 where he alone, he mentions something specific. He says that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And here we see that same word again, don't we? Verse 8, full. Full of grace and power. The image that Luke is building up for us here, I think is clearly aspirational. This is a full man, and all in the right way. He is full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. And as we see this and realize in some ways that Stephen isn't one of these original 12 selected apostles, I think it it gives us even more reason to say, hey, here's someone who we can look to follow in their example And as we do that, first off, let's look here at the mention of him being full of grace. That's what it starts with there in verse 8, doesn't it? He was full of grace. Now, grace uh, can in many ways uh, have different nuances about it, but the most straightforward way that we can understand this, I think, is to do with character. 
as Stephen goes out amongst the people, which we know he does from the rest of the verse, this much is obvious. He is full of the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, he continuously demonstrates a gracious, Christ-like character. It's easy to miss this, I think, as we look at the rest of this verse and see that he does wonders and signs, but this is so important. Stephen's witness to Christ begins here, with his character. As the Spirit continues to change him, he witnesses to Christ because he is like Christ. He is full of grace. I think it's easy as Christians to think that our witness, well, it's all about what we do. Or it's all about how good we are, maybe, at telling people about Jesus. But seeing Stephen's example here, Let's not forget that our character is also a huge witness to Christ. It can either add or detract, I think, from our witness, can't it? When Jesus was on earth, what was his character? He showed love, compassion, and it drew people to him. Well, so it is here with Stephen and with us today. Our character, well, it can also draw people to Christ, but it can also end up pushing them away too. And I think the question in here for us this evening is a challenge. It's a challenging one. What about our character? What does your character do as you display it at work, at home, amongst your neighbors, amongst your friends? Is your character drawing people to Christ? Clearly, we are all sinners here this evening, saved by grace. We're all being changed, and some it will be over the long haul. But let's ask the Spirit here tonight to empower us, to change us, to help us to be more like Stephen, to be more like Christ. That as people see us then, they see our character, they would say there is someone who is full of grace. That kind of living, that kind of attitude is so different, isn't it, to what we see so often in the world around us. And let me tell you, people will notice. They will stop. Maybe they won't always respond in a good way. We can't be sure of that. But people will see by your character that your life is different, that you are living for someone different. That in itself is a witness to Christ and often also may then lead to opportunities to speak about Christ as people look at your life and ask questions. It would be a good prayer to go away from here this evening with, Lord, make me more like Jesus in my character, in my attitude, so that I both increasingly glorify him, but then also so that I can effectively be a witness to him, to those around me. And then, of course, out of our character flow our actions. And here in verse 8, we see something of that. If you look with me, we see in verse 8 that Stephen is not just full of grace, he is also full of power, presumably from the Holy Spirit. And he's doing wonders and signs among the people. Presumably, like for Jesus and for the apostles, these signs and wonders that Stephen does here are primarily miracles of some sort. That's kind of what lies behind both of those words, signs and wonders. He's doing things that that are astounding people. They can't believe it. 
And presumably, as for the apostles, he's doing these things in Jesus' name as a witness to him. And as we see this, I guess the obvious question for us this evening then is, should we then look to be doing these kind of wonders and signs too? And while we don't have lots of time to go there now, I would just want to say this. Still here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, I think we are in a unique moment in history. A unique moment in the unfolding of God's salvation plan. Remember, we said at the start, didn't we, that this is just the point when the gospel is about to break out from Jerusalem into the surrounding areas. And aligned with that, I think that is why we see these continued signs and wonders like that, because they're testifying in this unique way to God's work. And they're they're authenticating the words of the apostles, the words of people like Stephen, as they go out. As we then continue on in the book and, and elsewhere, in, from what I read elsewhere in the New Testament, we don't see this happening as widely. And so I don't think we should be sitting here this evening expecting these particular signs and wonders to be a regular experience for us today as Christians. Of course, God as maker, creator of all things, he holds all things in his hand. He can and he does do wonders and miracles today. Often, we just completely miss them too. But they aren't necessarily the norm for us. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn something here from what Stephen is doing. If you look there at verse 8 again with me, see, he is doing these wonders and signs amongst the people. As someone seeking to faithfully witness to Christ, Stephen is out serving and helping the people around him pointing them to Jesus. And we can surely do the same today, can't we? Amongst the people that God has placed around us. Just as our character can point people to Jesus, so can our actions. Jesus in the Gospels speaks, doesn't he, of giving a cup of water in his name. I wonder, who are the people that God's put around you that you can give a cup of water to in Jesus' name? whether that's literally a cup of water or whatever that looks like. Whatever it looks like, our actions, just like our character, can draw people to Christ and it can also push them away. What are your actions in your life doing? We can't also, as we look at this, we can't be effective witnesses to Christ if we're going to sit in our houses all day with our, our doors locked and our TVs on. That's not what Stephen is doing here, is it? He is going out and being a part of his community. And he's bringing blessing. Blessing to those around us, around him. Again, this isn't easy. As we see Stephen's example here, we need the Spirit's help, don't we, in all of this. So again, let's this evening go away from here praying. Spirit, come. Help me, direct me, show me who it is that I can show the love of Christ to this week. And in all that we've seen here in verse 8, let's pray that both our character and our actions would be powerfully used to point people to Jesus. So that's the first thing I think we see here in this passage this evening to help us see what is it going to look like to be a faithful witness to Christ like Stephen through our character, through our actions. Let's look at the second then. And that's through our words. 
As we look at verse 9, if you look there with me, we see that the Jews from the synagogue of the freedmen, which seems to have been made up of all these people from all those, those places then listed, from Cyrene and Alexandria and Cilicia and Asia, all these Jews, they rise up and they dispute with Stephen. That is, they're arguing with him. And as we see this, I think we can see then that, uh, that Stephen must be doing something also in addition to just witnessing through his character and through his actions. He must be speaking. Otherwise, there would be no reason for these arguments, would there? So as Stephen goes out amongst the people, he's speaking with them about Jesus, the one through whom he's doing all these wonders and signs. But of course, as we've seen often already up to this point, that doesn't go down well across the board. As we see with these Jews here, they are upset by Stephen, aren't they? Stephen is, by speaking about Jesus, as we'll see in a minute, calling into question the Judaism that all of these Jews who who have come from all these different places, they've come back to Jerusalem to adhere to and to follow Judaism. And so what he's saying about Stephen upsets them. They dispute with him. And as we see this here, I think here are a few key things for us to take away from these verses as we look to to witness to Christ uh, through our words, like Stephen. First of all, what we see here reminds us that we shouldn't expect universal acceptance when we speak about Jesus. In fact, we should expect to regularly come across the kind of response that we see in these verses. Jesus himself tells us that. And so do many of the other New Testament writers. Why is that? Well, as we look on at the verses here from Stephen's example, I think we see why. And it's because all of us, in some ways, are are called to follow in our suffering Savior's footsteps as we witness to him. Look here and see Stephen in this. Verse 9. Just like Jesus was... Stephen is disputed with. Then, verse 11, just like Jesus, people are stirred up against Stephen. Also, verse 11, Stephen is charged with blasphemy, just as Jesus was. Then, verse 12, Stephen is seized and brought before the Jewish council, just as Jesus was. And verse 13, He's falsely accused, just as Jesus was. And then ultimately, if we turn over a page or two here, chapter 7, verse 60, just like Jesus, Stephen is killed. Living for and speaking for Jesus is never going to be easy. If we do that, it is a path that will likely follow Christ's in some way or another, follow his suffering. So we shouldn't be surprised when that's the case. And of course, as we think about that, that can make us anxious, can't it? Well, what does that mean? Will, what does that mean for me? Will the cost prove too high for me? Will I be able to stick at it through this kind of opposition? How will I know what to say when people come against me because of Jesus? 
And in amongst those questions, those worries, I think our passage here speaks so much help and hope. If you look with me to verse 10 then. Look at verse 10. The people are coming against him, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. I think we see here in this verse the realization of two promises that Jesus made for us as his people. Promises for us to trust in that will help us. First, we see the promise that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, verse 20. So famous, right? That as we go out and make disciples, Jesus will be with us always to the end of the age. See, Jesus knows. He knew, didn't he, that it wasn't going to be easy for his people as they go out and witness to him. But what's the promise? He will be with us as we do that. And I think we see in verse 10, Stephen knowing that reality, don't we? As the Spirit emboldens him and helps him, he's not alone. And then particularly relevant here, I think, to verse 10, there's a second promise that Luke himself wrote about in in the gospel. In Luke 21, verses 13 to 15. As I read this, notice the similarities here to verse 10. If you keep verse 10 there in front of you as we read this. Jesus promises in this section that as his people are persecuted, brought before kings and governors, there will be an opportunity for them to bear witness. And then he says this. Settle it, therefore, in your mind not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. Knowing that speaking for Jesus, bearing witness to him, will bring likely opposition. Well, it can make us anxious, can't it? But we need to know, remember, and trust this promise. If that does end up being the case for us, our Savior will be right there with us, and we will not be alone, and he will give us, by the Spirit, the words to say. Seeing that, I think we should take verse 10 and be encouraged this week. Encouraged this week to go on using our words to witness to Christ, no matter the consequences. It's a great promise to hold on to. Now, if you were listening carefully to Jesus' promise there in Luke 21, he began by saying this, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. And I I think we we could read that and be a little bit naive here this evening. Naive and take that the wrong way. Take that to mean that we don't ever have to think carefully about what it is that we do believe so that we can speak about it clearly and effectively. No, I still think we need to do that. We need to know what it is that we believe so that we can speak about it effectively. But this promise, you see, I think also then flows out of this flows out of it, that then, knowing what we believe, in these moments of trial or difficulty, God will help us to speak about the things that we are finding to be so precious to us. 
And what's most precious to us? Well, it's Jesus. See, we can see, I think, in the charges that are brought against Stephen, the main thing that he's speaking about. He's speaking about Jesus. Look at verses 13 and 14 again with me as, Jesus, as Stephen uses his words or, or these reported words to speak about Jesus. Verse 13, we read that they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. As we Look to follow Stephen's example presented to us here this evening. Here is what we can do. Use our words to witness to Christ by speaking about Christ. Maybe, maybe that's obvious, but it's worth saying, isn't it? As Christians, we don't go out to the world primarily holding out a moral vision for the rest of the world now to adhere to. And we don't go out from here this evening uh, believing that we, we go out there to hold out some wisdom about life, sort of how, how to live day by day a little bit better. I think as Christians, we can do those things. But here is what we hold out. We hold out a savior, a savior who meets and fulfills all of our needs, all of our hopes, all of our expectations. I think we, we see this even in what Stephen is accused of saying about Jesus in verse 14. See, he says, doesn't he, that Jesus will destroy the temple and that Jesus will change the customs that Moses delivered. See, the Jews here believed that in the temple and in the law, they had all that they needed. See, they had, had both the pinnacle of God's presence with them in the temple and the pinnacle of God's revealed will for them in the law. But in reality, the temple and the law, they were only ever pointing to Jesus. We know, don't we, as we've already said, Jesus is the one who truly brings the presence of God into the lives of his people. And Jesus is the one who completely fulfills the law. Remember in John chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, Jesus speaks there of destroying the temple. Maybe this is what Stephen's speaking of here. And in three days, raising it up. But in that, Jesus says he is speaking about the temple of his own body. As Jesus himself replaces the temple in God's plans to bring the nations to him. And remember, in passages like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, we see there, don't we, that Jesus is teaching, his teaching in a way that reveals the true heart behind the law and, and telling us just how radical it is. And of course, it's Jesus who alone perfectly fulfills the law, who perfectly lives in obedience to his God, meaning that today we who haven't lived to the standards of the law, are not condemned by it. Here's how Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 put it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
We don't know exactly what Stephen was saying here, do we? But this much is obvious. He is speaking again and again about Jesus and how he actually fulfills all that the Jews were looking for. All that they were looking for to be fulfilled through the temple and through the law. Now as we see this, uh, the reality is that today, unless we are speaking probably with Jews, it's unlikely that the specifics that are mentioned here the temple and the law, are going to be major concerns that people are speaking about. But here's the thing. Just as Stephen was speaking of Jesus and showing how he fulfilled all that the Jews were looking for, so now we can speak of this same Jesus as the one who fulfills all that those around us are looking for. Around this time last year, we had um, Dan Strange. Some of you may, have re- may remember him coming. And he spoke at our Bible conference. And he was speaking, I think, about something like this. He was reminding us and showing us how Jesus and the gospel both confronts and connects with each and every person's deepest desires, what they're living for, what their life is all about. What is the world around us looking for, searching for at the moment? Aren't they looking for a sense of self? Who were we made to be? Isn't the world around us looking for this desire to control tomorrow? Control our destiny in a way that leads to perfect happiness. Isn't our society desperately looking for love? What does love look like? What does it mean to be loved? Isn't our society crying out for this desire to be more connected with the people around us as it becomes more fragmented? And of course, don't we see in the lives of so many people just looking for ways to escape? Escape the problems, escape the hard situations that they find themselves in. We don't have time to go into all of the specifics here this evening. But as we think about those things, those desires, what our society, what people around us are longing for, looking for, we have to hear this evening, recognize that as Christians, we have in the gospel and in Jesus, someone and something who can speak hope and life and truth into every single one of those things. Jesus and the gospel can show us that we are loved more than we'll ever imagine. Jesus and the gospel can show us that we were made with a purpose. We're not just here randomly. Jesus and the gospel can show us that while we can't control our own destiny completely, there is someone who holds tomorrow in his hands, and that person is good. And of course, Jesus and the gospel, well, that gives hope, even in the darkest of circumstances of times personal hope that death will not be the end, but that we will rise again. And of course, hope for the world as a whole, that one day justice will prevail. One day all wrongs will be made right, and that from that day on, those trusting in Jesus will be with their God forever. Death will be no more, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That's the good news that we have to proclaim to the world, to speak about Jesus and the gospel. 
as we hold on to that hope, to Jesus and the gospel ourselves, we need to, like Stephen, look for ways to speak this love, purpose, life, hope to those people around us. Showing them how Jesus actually fulfills all that they're looking for and more. And standing on that solid ground of the gospel, we can trust that if that then lands us in hot water in some way with our friend or our neighbor or our colleague, well, Jesus is going to go with us in that every single step of the way. And he's going to help us to go on speaking, speaking about Jesus. Let's press on here as individuals and as a body of believers here, as a church witnessing to Christ through our words, speaking about Jesus and the hope that we have in him. It is a hope that so many people in the world are desperately looking for, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Let's lead people to Christ, knowing that in Jesus, in Jesus alone, do we find words of eternal life. So, so far tonight we've seen in Stephen's example how we can witness to Christ through our character, through our actions, and then also through our words. Let's continue then in verse 15 to see the example of Stephen and how we can witness to Christ through our response to the opposition that we might face. Read verse 15 with me. Stephen has been seized, he's falsely accused, he's hauled before the Sanhedrin, and here's what we read. And it's glorious. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's quite the conclusion to this little section, isn't it? It feels significant and ironic, I think, that for the people here that Stephen is speaking to, these Jews who seem to be so focused on things surrounding Moses and the law that they don't see the parallel here. The parallel between Stephen's shining face as he speaks to them and the shining face of Moses that we read about as he descends Mount Sinai with the law. Surely it should have been clear here that as they see Stephen, as they see this, well, here's someone to listen to just like Moses we were called to listen to. But we don't read anything about that. But what we do read about, I think, in itself is still this powerful witness, isn't it? What we see of Stephen here, and then what we'll go on to see next week too, is such a powerful witness to Christ. See, we don't see here someone flying off the handle in anger because they've been unjustly accused. Nor do we see here, on the other extreme, I guess someone crumbling with anxiety and doubt and fear. No, instead we see here an image of someone resolutely, calmly entrusting themselves to their God. As we said before, this can only surely be with the the Spirit's help. That's why the title there is Spirit-Empowered Witness to Christ. With the Spirit's help, here is someone who, as 1 Peter chapter 4 puts it, is suffering according to God's will, and in doing that is entrusting their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. That's what Stephen's doing here, I think, and what we're going to see him continue to do next week. And even if we don't see it explicitly named here, let me just say, this is a huge witness, isn't it? 
as we see Stephen's response to the value, to the all-sufficiency of Christ. That even when facing all of these accusations, even in such a hostile environment, Stephen seems to just be able to rest. Rest in what he knows to be true about his Savior. Rest knowing that he is safe in his hands. So much so that his face is like the face of an angel. Now, it's true that uh, here at the moment in Northern Ireland, we are unlikely, I think, to, to day by day face this kind of level of opposition that Stephen has faced here in these verses, and then we'll go on to face in chapter 7. But we can't be naive to the fact that we are living in a society that is seemingly increasingly hostile to the gospel. The trajectory seems to just be going in one direction, doesn't it? As we hold fast to Christ, to God's word, to the hope of the gospel, and as we then speak of it, in the coming years, it seems more and more likely that we will face increasing opposition, rebuke, ridicule, scorn. So as we think about that and prepare ourselves for that, let's take encouragement from Stephen's example here. And even in that opposition that we may face in the years to come, let's seek to then respond in ways that keeps pointing people to Jesus, showing, him, showing people around us that we have all that we need, that even in testing times, we can find peace and rest and hope. And as we see this, I think also it would be good for us this evening to respond to what we see uh, here by praying for those who right now are facing persecution similar to what Stephen faced. We know that's going on right around the world. Let's go away from here this evening praying that those in those kind of situations would know Christ's presence. That he would give them words to say and that they would know his peace and help. Stephen's example here I think is an inspiring one. As empowered by the Spirit, he faithfully, continually witnesses to Jesus, even to the point that he is willing to follow in his suffering Savior's footsteps and die. As we reflect on this, go on from here into this week, let's let what we've seen here from Stephen's example help us, encourage us to take on this baton, as it were, to this week, through the Spirit's continued work through us and in us, daily, faithfully witness to Christ. Witness to Christ through our character. Witness to Christ through our actions. Witness to Christ through our words. And then, if this week we face opposition, let's pray that even in that, we can witness to Christ by how we respond. Let's pray for God's help as we look to do that in the weeks and months ahead. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the glorious gospel that we come here this evening and rejoice in. We thank you for the work of Christ. We thank you that he did fulfill the law where we would fail, Lord. We thank you that we find all that we need in Jesus. We thank you that we find forgiveness and hope and peace. And as we go out from here, Lord, would you help us to be faithful witnesses, to take up this example of Stephen, to remember it this week 
and to seek by our character, by our, by our actions and by our words to live faithful lives to Christ and to point people to him. Lord, because we know that that is what the world is longing to hear, what it needs to hear, needs to hear the hope of Jesus. Lord, help us to be those who will bring that good news to those people around us. And Lord, as we just mentioned, we know that there are many around the world who are suffering, who are facing situations a bit like Stephen's here, right now this evening. Lord, we pray that they would know that presence of Christ with them. Lord, help them to continue to speak and hold fast to him. And Lord, please would you protect them and help them. Encourage them this very evening, Lord. Pray that you would be with them. And Lord, help us to hold them in our prayers. And then Lord, help us and inspire us to go out and live for Christ with all we've got. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to um, sing our, our closing song, It Is Well. And um, I, I guess as we think about this, it's, you can imagine Stephen, can't you? <laughs> as he faced all this ridicule, all this scorn, he knew it is well with his soul because he had Christ. Let's, um, let's stand as we uh, close together.
sorry thing to go out resounding in our hearts, isn't it? And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.